Well, good morning. It is so great to see you. Thank you for being at Northridge this weekend. If you're a guest, a special welcome. If you're at one of our regional campuses, thrilled that you're with us, or if you're on our growing online community, we're just, we're just thrilled to have you with us. We're in a series called The Prodigal. It's really a look at one of the most popular stories that Jesus told, and it has remained popular and impacting here even in the 21st century. And if you've, if you've missed any of the talks, we give our talks away online, northridgechurch.com, and you can watch those. I hope you'll catch up as we've had two talks before this, our final talk in the series. And I really, the way we began the series was with looking at the more popular story, the more popular son in the story, the younger son. And we started off with a, a song, just a creative delivery of the story, a 12-minute song called The Prodigal that our team put together. And we think it would be awesome for you to be able to remember this series and the impact that God has in your life by having that video available to you. And so as of this morning, I've actually posted it on my Facebook page so that you can have it. And just want you to be aware that if you're, if you're not on my Facebook page, you're probably not a Christian. And so you... Okay, maybe, maybe that's not true. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I hope that I try and post things there that will be helpful to you, encouraging to you. This video would be one. And here's my encouragement. We want you to enjoy it. We want you to remember the impact of this story. But more than that, we're here to wake the world up to Jesus. So don't keep it to yourself. Share it with everyone you can in every way you can through your social media so that this gets out there. Because our team did a phenomenal job on that. And so you'll be able to see that if you get bored during this talk or then after the talk maybe, whichever uh, you choose. But what we've seen in this series called The Prodigal is that, that though this story is traditionally known as the story of the prodigal or the lost son, it's really not a story about a son. It's, it's the story about two sons who were both prodigal, who were both lost in very different ways, but distant from the father, thinking life would be better without the father in their lives. They wanted the father's stuff, but not the father. They went about it different ways, but they both were making the same mistake, as different as their lives looked. And as a result, they, they both had messed up lives, and they both lived the lives of failures. They were born to be sons, but, but by their own choices, they were living as slaves. Nothing sadder than that. In fact, if this story were just about these two sons, it would be just a depressing story. It would be nothing more than, than a tragedy. But it's not just about these two sons. The reality is that the story of the prodigal is as much about the father as it is about the sons. And though tradition has gotten it wrong, and we've made the, the younger son the only one that most of us look at, the the most well-known participant in the story, it's really about two sons and the father. In fact, look at Luke 15, 11. Jesus makes this clear. Jesus continued, there was a man, the father, who had two sons. He starts the story saying, this is going to be about three different people. And it's, it's when we understand the three different people that we really see ourselves and we understand the power and impact of this story. Because in the way Jesus tells this story, the father stands in absolute contrast 
to the sons. Without the father, we have no hope, we have no story, we have no personal impact from this story. All we are told, again, is that, yeah, we, like these two sons, are failures, but because the father is there, it, it changes everything. In this story that Jesus tells us so well, we find that the sons both failed with extravagant recklessness. In fact, this is the reason Jesus' story here has been commonly referred to as the, the prodigal, as we've named this series. Because prodigal, by definition, means to be wastefully extravagant, to be reckless in spending, but, but it can be used as well in the positive. It can be used to mean generously extravagant, unsparingly lavish, which perfectly describes the father in this story. And it's true that the sons both failed with extravagant recklessness. They were, they were both prodigal sons. But it's also true that the father forgave with extravagant recklessness, with unsparing lavishness. He loved his sons. And it was reckless in this way. He was willing to forgive his sons. Whatever the consequences, no matter what anyone thought of him, what a, and in his culture, many would have thought he was a bad, bad father because he wasn't performing justice on his sons. He was loving them and forgiving them, and he decided he would be extravagantly reckless in his love and forgiveness of his boys, even if his sons didn't respond properly. And the important thing for us to understand is that this is our story. I think so much is lost because we think of this as, as about two sons that once lived who had this kind of father and we kind of judge and evaluate our family experiences and our life by this and boy, I wish that had been our story but if, if we see it that way, we miss everything. This isn't about two sons who once lived long ago and had this kind of father. This, this and I hope you'll get this, this is our story. It's about our story and the potential of our relationship with God. In fact, what Jesus is doing in this story and why it became such a popular and remains to be such a powerful story in our lives is that it presents our problem. If it's our story, then the problem at the center of the story is our problem, and that's exactly right. And the problem Jesus is communicating to us is that we've all failed God Every single one of us, and this is true whether we're like the elder son in this story or the younger son. This is true of us. We've all failed God. Even if we're the most religious people on the planet, we've, we've failed God. Even if we see ourselves as having done so much for God to tip the balances in our relationship with God in our favor, Jesus is saying, even if you're one of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which are being represented by the elder son in this story, you... You have failed God immensely, and your biggest problem is you don't see it. But we've all failed God, whether we're the elder son and religious or the younger son and irreligious. If, if we're struggling to keep all the rules to the best of our ability or doing our best to break all the rules, whatever we're doing, we failed. And Jesus is simply highlighting this truth that's found in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've often wished that verse was different. I've often wished I could just change just one word 
One word would make that verse so much better for me. And it would be changing the word all to the word some. Wouldn't that be awesome? For some have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That would make this my favorite verse. Because then I could look at all you and say, yeah, some have sinned. And some of us haven't. You know, that kind of deal. But that's not what the Bible says. It says all have sinned, whether we're religious or irreligious, whether we look like we've tried or we haven't tried at all. All of us have. In telling the story, Jesus includes everyone because he wants us to know that what all of us need most is a relationship with the Father, and what all of us are missing is a relationship with the Father, no matter how religious or irreligious we are. In fact, all of us are messed up, but some of us, like the elder son in this story, are better at hiding it. But the results are always the same for the elder and the younger. Romans 6.23 tells us the results for the wages of sin, the outcomes of sin, the consequences, the penalty of sin is death. And we think of this in such weird ways as human beings because we, we equate it with, with death as we know it physically and, and we see it as the cessation of life. We lose a loved one to death and it's like they're gone and it's over. But that's the wrong way to see death because really death isn't cessation, death is separation. When, when I die physically, it's my soul and my spirit being separated from this physical vessel it's been in and then going into eternity. And the same is true with you. It's just separation. But, but the greater death isn't physical death. That's a consequence of the greater death. The greater death is spiritual death. And spiritual death is when we, we are separated from God, the source of life and the source of joy and the source of peace and the source of fullness and the source of meaning and everything else we're looking for, when we experience spiritual death, we're separated from God and that happens in this life, which is why so many people say, I'm experiencing hell on earth and the truth is many are because when you live on this planet separated from God, you, you experience life as it was not designed to be experienced, a life of shadows and darkness and loss. But as long as you're in this life, you're still experiencing the the flow over of what God's doing in other people's lives. He, you still have some light in the midst of your darkness. You still see love in the midst of this darkness. But when we die, if we die with, with sin in our life, without forgiveness of Jesus, if, if we die separated from God, then we go into a different kind of hell where we no longer have the runoff of God's blessings and promises, but... We have absolute darkness because we're separated from God and absolute despair because we're separated from God. And it's just, it's an awful thing to think. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. And by nature, here's what we need to know in this life and in the next. By nature, all of us are separated from God, away from home. This explains so much about us. It, it helps me to understand my own issues and maybe it'll help you too. It explains why even... When life goes well for us, you know, when the sun's shining and the dreams are coming true and the goals are being accomplished and everyone's loving us as much as we love ourselves, I mean, when life's going well for us, there's still something missing. You notice that? doesn't matter how great things are going, there's still that nagging sense that there's, there's something more and it's because there is something more. When we're separated from God, no matter what we have, 
we don't have what we need. It explains for me how we have this constant longing for more and why no matter how much more we get, we keep longing. And we've all experienced this, right? I mean, we've, we've wanted something desperately, we've longed for it, we've got it, and it doesn't satisfy the longing at all. We then have to long for something else, thinking that that will solve the equation, but none of this will satisfy our longing. Jesus makes it clear in this story that, that we're longing for what we lost way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked away from God. We're, we're, we're longing not for a place or possession or person or some new pleasure. These won't satisfy our longing. We, if we're honest, we know that. We've experienced it. We're longing for a relationship with the Father because that's what was lost. Here's what Jesus is teaching in the story. The Father God is, is home. We won't feel home because we get to the place of our dreams or we experience the pleasure of our dreams or we get the possession of our dreams. We'll only know we're home when we're where the Father is. When we're where he is, our longing is then fulfilled. And that's what Jesus is telling us in this, our story. This is our problem. We've all failed God and we're separated from him. He's to something missing. But the neat thing about Jesus is he never stops with the bad news. We have, a, we have a way about stopping with the bad news. We give bad news, and if it really makes an impact, then we take, whoa, let's make it even worse. And we start, we just keep heaping the bad news. But Jesus only gives the bad news so that we'll understand that we're in crisis and we need the good news. And in this story, along with our bad news, he gives us our good news. And this isn't just good news for the two guys that were messed up in the story. It's good news for us because this is our story. The Father's love and, and forgiveness is unlimited. Do you know how awesome that is? God the Father is represented by the Father in the story, and the Father's love and forgiveness is unlimited. Here's what so many people miss in this story. Our God is a prodigal father extravagantly generous in his forgiveness. This is not a story about two prodigal sons who were extravagantly reckless in the way they wasted all they'd been given. This is also the story of a prodigal God who was extravagantly reckless in his dispensing of love and forgiveness in an unlimited way. I mean, look at how the story says it. Jesus in Luke 15, 20. So the younger son got up from the pig slop that he was rolling around in and went to his father and you know, he was thinking, he'll never accept me back. He'll tell me to get lost. He'll tell me I blew it and failure is final. He'll, at best I could expect, maybe he'd make me a slave in his house, a servant in his house, a helper in his house, certainly not a son. But I'd rather be a servant in his house than a son separated from him. And so he got up and he came home thinking he'd be rejected. But... Jesus tells us that while he was still a long way off, feeling like he would be rejected, like he wasn't worthy, his father saw him and, and was filled with compassion for him. And he didn't run away from his son. He ran to his son. He didn't, he didn't push him away. He threw his arms around him and pulled him close. And he didn't express anger towards him. He kissed him. 
The Father's love and forgiveness is unlimited. Do you know how important this is for us? Because most of us, come on, let's be honest, most of us keep a distance between us and the Father because we feel like he sees us like we see ourselves. And if we're really, really honest, we see ourselves through the lens of our failures. We see the lens ourselves through the lens of our worst mistakes. We see ourselves through the lens of, of what other people have told us we are. Nobody or nothing, people who will never mesh up. We, we see ourselves that way, and we stay away from the Father because we think if we see ourselves that way, how would this holy and perfect God see us? But he doesn't see us through that lens at all. He sees us through the lens Jesus gives us here where he's filled with compassion for us. He wants to run to us and throw his arms around us and kiss him. Do you realize that, that this reveals God's prodigal heart? He, his love and forgiveness is unlimited. You, you shouldn't stay away from home thinking he'll reject you. You should run towards home because he's running towards you. Do you get this? Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jesus is simply telling the story of this God, the God that we miss. In my devotional life where I'm spending time with God each day, I'm doing a bunch of different things, but one thing I'm doing is I'm reading through and an old devotional book, very popular one that I've read many other times, but I'm doing it again. It's called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chamber. And just this week, I, I read this thought I had to share with you. It says, the marvel of the redemptive reality of God, the marvel of God's desire to forgive and to save is that the worst and the vilest can never get to the bottom of his love. You can't get to the bottom of his love. You can't fail so much that you overtax his capacity to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. Here's what we need to see from this story because this is our story. Though we've all failed God with extravagant recklessness because God is so extravagantly generous, we can come home. No matter what we've done, where we've gone, who we've hurt, or how we've been hurt, we can come home because our Father is a prodigal Father. Jesus said in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and, and the one who comes to me, if they haven't failed too badly, I'll by no means cast out. Is that in your Bible? But this is how we feel. This is how I feel. This time I've just blown it too, in too big of a way to come home. I, I mean, if this person won't forgive me, then how could God ever forgive me? If I can't forgive myself, how can this God ever forgive me? Because he's, he's not bound up and enslaved by your limitations. His love and forgiveness are unlimited. And if we come home, he won't cast us out. Wow, can you imagine we can come home? We can come home though we've all failed God with extravagant recklessness because he's so extravagantly generous we we can live in his presence in this holy God's presence we can live there Matthew 28 20 Jesus says it and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age you can live in my presence and walk in my presence and and know this you can live in his presence with no shame or no guilt. And you know, the reason we, we feel like if we come home, I, uh, he'll let us come home, but 
He'll always remind us how messed up we are. And the reason we think that way of God is because isn't that how we treat each other? Even in the best of our relationships, don't we always remind each other of our failures? Oh, not every day, but in those heated moments. When things aren't going well, 30 years ago, comes back up. I thought you forgave me for that. Yeah, but I haven't forgotten, and I knew you'd do it again. And don't we lock each other in the shadows of our past failures and expect each other to mess up and hurt us in the same exact ways? Of course we do, but, but when God says we can come home, it's not so that he can keep reminding us of where we were and how bad we were. It's so that we can live without shame and without guilt. In fact, what you need to know and what Jesus teaches in this story is pretty simple. He sees us through the beauty of Jesus' life, not through the shadows of our sinful and failed life. Yes, we failed extravagantly, all of us have, but because God is a prodigal father, we can walk in his promises. We deserve nothing from him, but he doesn't want to make us second-class citizens. He wants to make us first-class citizens, and I'll use a spiritual word. He wants us to experience all of his blessings with no fear, with no doubt, with no question. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and I use this passage because Peter is a guy who knows what it is to, to feel like a failure because he was one. Denied Jesus three times after saying he loved him more than everyone else. Denied Jesus three times after he said that he'd never do that. He'd die for him first. Denied Jesus three times at the crisis point of Jesus' life. This guy was a mess up and he felt like a mess up. But then he realized that the story Jesus told that he thought was about others was really about himself. And that this father in this story was really about the father and he could come home and he learned that he could walk in God's promises even though he didn't deserve them. Look at what he says. God's divine power has given us everything we need to no longer live messed up lives, but to live a godly life. He's given us this very great and, and these very great and precious promises. They're ours. Though we've failed, we can walk in his promises. This is such a great story and this isn't a story for others. This is a story for me. This is a story for you. This is our story. And there's a lot of ways we can go with this, but I want to I wanna give you a truth that's been messing with me as I've been looking at this, and I'm, I'm hoping that it will, in very positive ways, help you as well. And here's the truth. Our, Jesus makes it clear in the story, our relationship with God, whether we're religious or irreligious, whether we've tried to do everything right or we've done everything wrong, our relationship with God is based entirely on forgiveness. Did you know that? None of, us, none of us can say, yeah, I've got a relationship with God because, you know, God looked down and saw what I see. I'm awesome. <laughs> Serious business. I mean, how could he do without me? No, when... When we have a relationship with God, it's, it's not based upon the fact that we deserve it. It's based entirely on forgiveness. In fact, if we have a relationship with God, this story makes it very, very clear to us that 
that our relationship with God is based entirely on God's choice to provide forgiveness because if he didn't provide it, we wouldn't have a way home. Would forgiveness have happened with these sons if, if the father didn't run and hug them and kiss them? No. God's made the choice to provide the forgiveness that all of us need. 2 Corinthians 5.21, how did he do it? God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You might go, what in the heck does that mean? Here's what it means. Jesus had no sin, never fell short of God. We have all fallen short of God. We all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but we do. Jesus didn't deserve to be separated from God, but we do. But when Jesus mounted that cross and was nailed hands and feet, what did he scream? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced the unbelievable darkness of hell, of separation from God, so that you and I would not have to stay separated from God, but could walk the bridge of the cross back into relationship. We could come home. Jesus became sin for us, separated from God, so we could come home. God provided forgiveness. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, abundant in God's blessings, living in God's presence, yet for your sake he became poor, separated from God, so that you through his poverty might take his place, might become rich. Our relationship with God is based entirely on God's choice to provide forgiveness. Doesn't matter how religious you are or irreligious. Doesn't matter how good you think you've been compared to others. We've all fallen short and we all need God to forgive us. But many of us, like the elder son in this story, are so close. Here we are listening to the truth, sitting in a gathering of God's people and God's family, listening to songs of worship. And yet we're still not experiencing his forgiveness, his freedom, his joy, the fullness we're looking for. We're still longing for all the wrong things and never being satisfied. And we're just like the elder son in this story. Because you see, forgiveness, as much as God has offered it to us, as much as he's, he's willingly provided it to us, forgiveness depends upon us choosing it. And our relationship with God is entirely based on, on whether or not we make the choice to receive it. The younger son did, and the elder son didn't in this story. In Romans 10, 13, everyone, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all those all, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but you have to call. At the end of this story, the younger son did call. He did receive the forgiveness. He went from broken to healed, from a failure to forgiven, from living in the slop with the pigs to being celebrated as a son. And, and the elder son didn't. Though born to be a son, by his own choice, he kept living as a slave, which highlights the question that remains for us, I think. What will we do, what the younger son did or what the elder son did? Here's a more direct question. What have you done? 
Where are you in relationship with God? Close or far away? And by the way, more important than the answer you give is the answer you live. You know that, right? Because what would the elder son have said? Me and God, we're like this. Me and the father. Whoo, tight. I've never left his side. I've done everything. I've slaved for him and all the things he said. But though he was close in proximity, he was far away in intimacy. The answers we give are very often the answers we want to be true, but they're not the true answers. You know what the, the real thing we should look for? Not the answer we give, but the answer we live. Does our life show that we've experienced his forgiveness? And this is what's really messing with me. Here's the application. If our relationship with God is genuine, we will become forgiving like the Father. That's the answer we'll live. The elder son. Would the elder son have celebrated the coming home of his brother if he was living in the full sense of his own need for forgiveness and the own sense that he didn't deserve to be a son either? Wouldn't, wouldn't he, if he had experienced the forgiveness of his father and recognized his unworthiness, wouldn't he have celebrated the coming home of his brother? Of course he would, but, but that's not what happened. Why? Because... He didn't think he needed forgiveness. He thought he was better than everyone else. He thought he was more deserving. He thought he had done enough. He thought he was entitled, and he was miserable as a result. He was as miserable or more than the younger, and he never came home. If our relationship with God is genuine, we'll become forgiving like the Father. Look what Jesus says in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you go to church every single day of your life. Nope. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you've got a stick where the sun don't shine and you're uptight and out of sight and you treat everybody with judgment, that's what will do it. I'm not sure exactly what I just said, but I think it came off. I think it was pretty well understood. Some of you are saying, how'd you become a pastor? Because I've got a prodigal father, that's why. I... <laughs> By this everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, isn't it about time we start loving with the love of people who know that the only reason we know God is because we've been loved? That's how we should be. The elder brother was, was the opposite of this. He, was uptight and out of sight. He thought he was somebody and his brother was no one. And you know, the same th can happen to us. Which is why God inspired these words in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ our prodigal father forgave us. Here's the conclusion I want you to see. Our, our true heart, well, not the heart we say we have, but our true heart is revealed in the same way the Father's heart was revealed. It's revealed by how we respond to those who need our forgiveness. That's how our true heart is revealed. You see, the Father forgives by, by nature. Because his love and his forgiveness is unlimited. What about us? 
How do we or don't we forgive? And what does it reveal about our heart? After all, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 17 and 20. Likewise, every good tree, if the tree's good inside, bears good fruit. Can't help it, it's its nature. But a bad tree bears nothing but bad fruit. Can't help it, it's its nature. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is such a vital issue for us because the unwillingness to forgive prevents us from experiencing the peace and the freedom and the fulfillment and the joy of living in God's presence. The unwillingness to forgive keeps us away from the Father and in our misery rather than placing us with him and enjoying the party. The saddest part of the story to me is that the elder brother who stayed in close proximity all his life was never close. And rather than walking up the steps and through the door into the party of joy and celebration, he stayed out in the slop of his own creation of anger and misery and bitterness, which is where so many of us live. We've all been hurt. We've all been betrayed. We've all been talked about in ways that we don't even like to repeat and many of us have a hard time forgiving but you know there are only two causes for an unforgiving heart the first one is that we haven't experienced God's forgiveness at all when you haven't experienced forgiveness there's no way you can give it have you ever experienced God's forgiveness you say well I'm sitting in church aren't I that answer alone with that kind of tone tells me who gives a crap right Being in a building doesn't change your life. Being in Jesus changes everything. Are you in Jesus? Have you experienced God's forgiveness? There's another cause for an unforgiving heart, and this is the one I have to wrestle with so often, and it's not that I haven't experienced God's forgiveness because I have, but it's that sometimes I'm not remembering God's forgiveness. You know, I've been made a son by God's forgiveness, I experience his promises that I don't deserve because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I live in this relationship with God and over time I can forget that I don't deserve to be there and I can start looking at others and saying, man, why are they living like that? And why are they doing this? And why are they, and look at, God, why aren't you answering my prayers more? And you know, all the different things that we can start doing in our head and it happens because we aren't remembering God's forgiveness. Are, are you? Since since this is our story, I would be failing in my responsibility if I don't urge you to take an action step. And here's the action step. Don't be like the elder brother. Make your choice. Make your choice. And to do that this weekend, as we end this series called The Prodigal, we're going to, we're going to do something very unusual for Northridge, if you're a guest, we don't do this every week. We don't even do it every year, quite frankly. We're going to sing a very prayerful worship song about restoring our soul. And, and if God's dealing with you, and look, I, God's been dealing with me with this series and this talk for a long time. And I believe very strongly that God's dealing with many of us. And if God's dealing with you right now, I want to encourage you to move in some way 
to take a step some way to reflect that you want to move closer to the Father. If things are pretty good between you and God right now, look at them, that's awesome. And I get it, there have been seasons in my life where they were, you're saying things are pretty good, I think I'm tight, I think I'm walking with him, living in his promises, that's great. But for many of us, it's not the case. And so I, I wanna encourage you, if things are okay with you, just stay seated, that's cool, it's all great. It can be very true, but if God's dealing with you and you wanna get closer to him, why don't you, at the very least, just stand. I mean, move, do something physically to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move closer to him. You could stand, but even better, maybe you could come forward. I mean, leave your seats and come forward toward the cross. Do something to reflect that you're making your choice to take a step closer toward the Father. And I, I know what many of you think, I, I'm at church, for goodness sake. You know how many steps I took to get here? I mean, I had to get in my car. I had to park in this, what, forever parking lot and walk all the way in here. I mean, come on, isn't that enough of a move? No, you know, the elder brother did that every single day of his life, and he was never still experiencing the love of Jesus. And I just, I just encourage you, man. Proximity doesn't mean intimacy. Make your move. So here's my encouragement. What, whatever the deal in your life, don't allow any distance between you and the Father to remain because Jesus was forsaken and separated from God on the cross so that you wouldn't have to be. Why in the world would you stay separated? And however you choose to do it, here's my encouragement. Whether you come forward, whether you stand, whether you sit, come home. And when this song ends, I'm gonna come up and I'm gonna pray with you and I'm going to pray for you. But let's right now come home.
by moving, whether you've come forward or stood or some other form of movement, what you've done is you've basically said, I surrender, you know? I, like that younger son, look at I, I have failed, I've blown it, I need you, I, I need to come home. The distance between us is killing us and I, I'm so proud of each and every one of you. You're doing the same thing that I've been doing as I've been engaging this story. But I, I love that song because it says, you, you, you're finding me there in surrender. And here we are, right? Foot of the cross, surrender. This is a moment, this is a great moment. But that song says, help me to stay there. My big problem is I have some great moments, but then I wander again. And I just want us to come home and stay home. And so that's what I'm going to pray for you. For those of you who are for the first time experiencing God's forgiveness, pray with me. Make my words yours. It's relevant to the first time. But if you've followed him before and you're coming home again, make my words in this prayer yours. They're relevant to you. Just pray with me in your heart to God. Just say, God, I, God right now, I'm coming home. Confessing and acknowledging that I've fallen short, I've sinned against you, I've failed, I'm prodigal in extravagant ways. But I'm coming in surrender to the cross, believing, Jesus, that you took the separation from God that I deserve, and by faith I'm now receiving the relationship, the forgiveness, the life of a child of God. By the power of your resurrection, help me to stay, to walk with you and in your promises. Save me, guide me, live through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before we end, I, I, I want to say, first of all, I, I know what it's like when God's dealing with our heart, and I need to talk to people sometimes and pray with people, and we have a prayer team up here. And if you want to talk with someone, just hang out, and our prayer team will get with you. They'd love to talk with you. But, but one of the things I found in my life is very often um, a moment is stronger when I go public with it. And those of you who have stood and come forward, that's public. But, but I find that I have to tell somebody. And the Bible does say if we confess with our hearts and then we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, we'll be saved. And I... I'd really encourage you to make a confession that you've stood, that you've come home, that you've made a decision today. And one of the ways you can do it with me, I'm, trust me, I'm just going to celebrate it. I'm going to, woohoo, I'm not going to judge at all. And so I'm the right person to tell. No judgment from me. If you go to work tomorrow and say, hey, I went to the cross, that might change some things. But, but I, I really think telling someone's important. And so with our connection cards, we use them for all kinds of things. But in the program that we gave you is this connection card inside. It's just a perforated card. I just encourage you to go public with the fact that you came home, that you made a decision. Just find one of these things and fill it out and just, you just say, I came home. I made a decision or whatever you want to say and I'll, I'll pray for you, I'll care about you. But if it's your first time, we'll send you some materials. We, but let us know, would you? And for those of you watching, streaming online, just hit the what next button. We'll do the same thing for you. But look at, coming home is great. Staying home is even better. Knowing God is great, but walking with God is even better. So when we leave here, with each step we take, let's remember we want to walk with him because that's what Jesus made possible. 
Let's be prodigal, but let's be prodigal not like the sons. Let's be prodigal like God, extravagantly reckless in how much we trust him, in how much we live for him, and how we walk with him. And if that happens, we will be in the light. It won't be hell on earth. It will be heaven on earth, even when we're experiencing the darkness of this planet. God is so good. I'm so glad you were here. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.